Hey y'all, this is Meg Sunga, and you're listening to In Retrospect, a digital dialogue on the life lessons and lived experiences of queer and trans people of color. From community activist to politician, Carlos Guillermo Smith made history with his election in November 2016 becoming Florida's first openly LGBTQ Latinx state lawmaker, just five months after the tragedy at Pulse nightclub. He currently serves House District 49 in the Florida House of Representatives. Uh, We are going to get into it. Thank you again, Carlos, for being on my show. I'm so excited. Um, also want to give a sh- quick shout out to the person that helped me get you on, my friend Bryant. Um, Bryant, when came over to my house and was like, Meg, there are a bunch of people that you should have on your show. And I'm like, sure, like, let's do it. And he like just emailed a million people. I had no idea who he emailed. And he was like, by the way, I got a Florida politician to say yes to your show. And I was like, no way. Like, don't, don't hype me up. Like, please don't say things that aren't true. And he's like, yes, yes, I did. (laughs) So very excited um, because you are my first uh, politician to talk to about. Really? Oh my God. I'm so honored. Thank you to Bryant for making this happen. And so I'm, I'm just so excited. Friends, we are welcoming representative Carlos Guillermo Smith to in retrospect. Um, Carlos, thank you so much for being here today. I will love, I would like to let you have the opportunity to share with us who you are, um, what you do now specifically. Um, and then we're gonna bring into the space who are we thinking of um, when we talk about our younger self? So what's like the age or um, a starting point of younger you that we're also going to be mentioning throughout the episode? Oh, goodness. Well, thank you so much, Meg, for <laughs> inviting me on In Retrospect. This is a really cool opportunity to engage with your listeners and tell my story. I'm State Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith. My pronouns are he, him, el. And I serve in the Florida House of Representatives. Uh, representing the people of House District 49, which is East Orange County. So the neighborhoods that I represent in the Florida legislature are uh, Waterford Lakes, Union Park, the University Boulevard and UCF Corridor, uh, along with uh, Rio Pinar, Lake Pickett, and other surrounding areas. But really, I try my very best to be a representative for all Floridians, not just those who live in my East Orlando-based uh, district. I was elected in 2016. I'm a Democrat. And our campaign actually made history because my election uh, made me the first openly LGBTQ Latinx lawmaker in our state's history, which is a really uh, important responsibility for me because, as we know, mm-hmm. representation matters. And queer yes. Latinx people have been denied a seat at the table so long. And it was especially meaningful that I was elected in the months that followed the horrific Pulse nightclub uh, shooting here in Orlando, which we know, of course, uh, disproportionately Mm -hmm. impacted queer people of color and the Latinx community in particular. Uh, I am a Floridian born and raised. I was born in Fort Lauderdale, um, first generation American and the first in my family born in the United States. Um, my dad is Peruvian um, and my mom is French Canadian. And they met and fell in love in, in Montreal. <laughs> uh, and so it's funny, my older sister, Kathy, is, uh, was born in, in Montreal as well. Uh, and then they moved here to the United States to seek a greater opportunity. And I was the first in my family born here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I'm a middle child, uh, MCS middle child syndrome. You might find <laughs> that out through this conversation. Um, but actually, I come from a, a, a family of, of fighters uh, and servants in many ways. You know, my mom 
uh, is a retired uh, ESOL facilitator. So uh, mm. when she worked in a Palm Beach County public schools for many decades, it was really her job to help those English language learners that uh, didn't speak English as their uh, first uh, language to help them uh, assimilate and learn English mm-hmm. and be successful in our Florida public schools. Um, my older sister, Kathy, is a firefighter. My younger sister, Christine, is an OBGYN. Uh, and my dad is a small business owner. So I'm just really proud. I'm, I'm actually, so I'm like the failure in the family, basically, <laughs> is what I'm telling you. As the politician, right. You know, I'm the politician. My sister's a doctor. <laughs> a doctor. My other sister's a firefighter. And I'm like the loser politician here. I'm screaming. <laughs> even, even with like all of that, all of your accolades, all of your experience, it's like, Whenever it comes to family, it's like, oh, there's still the rankings of who's doing great things versus not always. <laughs> right, right. But we're all juggling multiple responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So while I am a state lawmaker by day, by night, I actually do still work for Equality Florida which is our state's largest LGBTQ civil rights organization that's been uh, such an important part of my uh, work for many years. Of course, I'm a proud Mm -hmm. LGBTQ person, uh, and I don't think that we should take our civil rights uh, for granted. We have to continue fighting for them, and that's why uh, I'm very um, honored and proud to do the work that I do uh, specifically with Equality Florida as well. I love that. I love that. And yes, we are recording right now during Pride Month. So everyone who happy will be Pride. listening, happy Pride. <laughs> Whenever this episode comes out, we're still celebrating Pride regardless of the month. Um, but yes, I thank you for that. And I love hearing you share a little bit about your story, a little bit about your family. And we're going to get in, you know, obviously deeper and deeper into that. Um, but in, in retrospect, we like to talk about, you know, the younger self and reflecting on, you know, our intersections of our race and our sexuality at younger ages. Um, So when we talk about that specifically for you, what is that age and timeline of when you started becoming cognizant of of these identities? I think I first realized that I was not straight, (laughs) Um, (laughs) probably in high school. Um, Mm. You know, I definitely knew that I was different. Um, but I don't think that that feeling really manifested itself into, uh, an LGBTQ identity that I really understood until I was in high school. Now I graduated from high school in 1999, uh, Spanish river high school in Boca Raton, go sharks. Um, (laughs) but back then people were not out. Uh, Mm. that was not a thing. Uh, and so my LGBTQ identity was very internalized, 100%. Yeah. Um, I think I came to the realization without being able to share this with any single person uh, in my life that I could trust or that I thought I could trust. Um, I think that I really understood that I was LGBTQ, uh, but that I might live a life in the closet. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a junior or senior in high school. Uh, But then when I made it to UCF and uh, was uh, a student there, uh, I realized, well, yeah, I'm not going to be in the closet. That's not going to be happening. (laughs) Um, I I came out as bi. Mm. (laughs) I came out as bi first, gay later, which sometimes, I mean, that's, that's a lot of people's um, experience. Sure. Um, because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't quite, I guess, know exactly how my family and friends would react sure. to me being gay. Um, so for some reason, I thought maybe being bi was better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh huh. Um, yep. Yeah. This. Li- listen. This is this is two thousand and one, Carlos. You know. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, this conversation is really, is really taking me back. And why did, why did I, you know, why was it tough? Well, because uh, it was tough being a a queer kid uh, in the nineties, you know, queer kids weren't out in the nineties and uh, family rejection is a real thing, especially Mm -hmm. when you come from um, a family like mine, where, you know, I have a a strict Hispanic father who is still Mm -hmm. not accepting uh, to this day, uh, 
my some some of my concerns, particularly about uh, acceptance, um, particularly from my father, they were well grounded concerns, but that mm. but I didn't understand at the time uh, that uh, even if there was not full acceptance um, and unconditional support from specific members of my family uh, that would come easy, that that would not factor into my success as an LGBTQ person Mm -hmm. or in my overall happiness. And I know that now. You took us on a journey. (laughs) You took us on a journey. And I want... First off, I want to thank you for sharing all those pieces. Um, also, shout out fellow Knight. I also went to UCF. Uh, Go Knights. Charge on. Charge on. Um, I did my master's program there. Um, once I got five, six years ago now. Jeez. Um, also, and also I think it is it is important to note that like folks, as we're navigating these identities and trying to figure out, you know, what fits best for us. Yeah. Like buy might work one minute and then you realize actually no I'm more queer or I'm more pan or like you know you I think that's the beauty of LGBTQ plus communities is that we as individuals have the opportunity to find what fits best for us and I think that I'm glad you were able to uplift that for your own um, story because I'm sure there's going to be a listener here who was like oh shit that's me (laughs) thank you right right hundred percent. Well, and it's just like, um, when I think in retrospect, you know, were there, were there, were there clues about my gayness or my queerness? I mean, absolutely. Maybe they were less obvious to me, mm-hmm. but, um, I think that, you know, I, I, I certainly as an elected official have, have owned my, uh, femininity as an out queer person, um, as well. And when I came out to a lot of uh, friends and family members earlier in my life, they were like, well, duh. We know, we know, we know, because, you know, we often have these conversations about LGBTQ identities and some, some mistakenly say, well, you know, sometimes you can hide uh, you can hide um, whether you're gay or queer. That's that's not that is not the experience for every person. Now, right. uh, you know, I am a, a gay cisgender male, but for me, uh, it is not accurate to say that I can just hide my mm. gayness or hide my homosexuality. Like I I don't. I'm sorry. I don't pass as straight. <laughs> I don't. That's that's right? the thing. Yeah. And I, I I accept that, and I'm proud of who I am. Yeah. But like, they're hiding and passing a straight is not something that is an option for every person, right? right? Absolutely. I I would like to to see uh, dig a little bit into those clues, right? So, clues to our queerness is one of the like the consistent question. On in retrospect, is just thinking about like, you know. I should have known I was queer when like thinking back to like different moments. Um, I'm wondering, you know, like, was that like, what were those moments for you specifically? Like, was there, you know, things that you were like songs you were consuming or, you know, people that you were listening to or things you were reading? Like what were potentially some clues for you? Music was always a dead giveaway, right? <laughs> like, you know, singing singing karaoke with like our at home microphone and stereo system to Whitney Houston. I want to mm. dance with somebody. Oh my god, right? I mean, who doesn't want to be Whitney? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> right. Who is it? I oh my god, I was talking to my sister about this the other day and it, we were literally talking about how older older siblings, spe- specifically my older sister, how their taste in music can um, you know, really, really influence right. younger siblings, right? And so, like, she got me really into some less cliche, uh, I guess, 
um, parts of, of, of like my appreciation for music. Like I really love Guns N' Roses. That's because of my sister, but, <laughs> but you know, I also really, <laughs> love but it. I also really liked new kids on the block because of my sister. Mm. And I remember when I called in, um, we used to do this thing where like, if you wanted to hear a song on the radio, you would like call the radio station yes. and yes. like, and, and be like, I want to request this song. This is things that we did in like the, the mid eighties and like the early nineties. And I called and I, and I, I wanted to hear Belinda Carlisle's uh, heaven on earth song. <laughs> yes. Because Belinda Carlisle, come on. Mm. She's amazing. And I also, and I also called in, uh, to Power 96 in South Florida uh, with my sister there next to me because I wanted to hear uh, Prince's new song on the soundtrack for Batman, which was called Bat Dance. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. So so my obsession with Belinda Carlisle in Prince might have might have been a dead giveaway. At the time. I love it. I'm screaming. A, because it's such a visual, like that is like a visceral visual. Um, and I also have been transported immediately back to the 90s where, yes, I forgot about calling into radio stations and like <laughs> requesting the songs you want to listen to. This was right. pre, uh, this was pre iPod. This was pre everything. This was, this was how you got your music. You asked for it. <laughs> I mm-hmm. forgot that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When am I going to hear it? Come on. I want to hear it now. (laughs) I feel like kids are spoiled now. Hey. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Listen, anytime you want a karaoke, Carlos, let me know. Because as a Filipino, like it is in my blood. It is my God-given right to sing all the time (laughs) on the karaoke machine. (laughs) All righty. All righty. It is my jam. It is my jam jam. And I'm also, this is um, a complete aside. I won't get back on track in a second. Um, my, God, it was like a couple years ago, my birthday. I have multiple birthdays that I've done private karaoke rooms because I don't want to wait in line to sing for whatever reason. I would like the opportunity to just sing song after song. So I usually get a private room so I can Right, yell, so you scream. can log the mic. Exactly. That's just, that's how I do it. But everyone well, is always welcome. Right. Well, and speaking (laughs) of Prince and karaoke, um, a couple of years ago, uh, the West Orange County Chamber of Commerce hosted a a fundraiser that I attended that was at Rising Star, you know, that Mm. karaoke place that's in uh, Universal City Walk. City Walk, yep. And and like the whole, the whole, like, I guess, hook for their event was that they were going to have elected officials sing karaoke and they were going to have a karaoke competition. And so I went and I actually sang Purple Rain. <laughs> oh my God. And I won the competition. They gave me an award. Uh, I was I was like crowned as like the karaoke hero, uh, karaoke king, karaoke hero for elected officials in Orange County. So I was like, okay. <laughs> that is amazing. Number one. Number two, is there video of this? Like, is there still evidence of this? Uh, uh, it might be on YouTube. I know <laughs> the evidence exists, but I'm trying to think of where to find it. Okay. Um, yeah, be careful about searching Carlos Guillermo Smith YouTube because there's <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff on there that you will find. You'll find maybe karaoke. You'll obviously see me talking on the news and, you know, you'll, you might run into my appearance on fear factor in 2004. There's a lot out there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It'll run the gambit as my internet. I'm, I like to call myself a low level internet sleuth. Like I'm good at, I'm just good enough to find what I need. Um, (laughs) but I will be happy to go down that rabbit hole later. So right. When you know what to look for, that's when it gets really interesting. (laughs) It's the fan. Woo, I love that. I love that. I'm going to touch upon something you mentioned earlier. So you had mentioned your coming out experience. And I'm curious, knowing what you know now, would you change anything about how you came out, especially to your family? I think that at the time that I was trying to be uh, and was struggling to be my authentic self when I was uh, a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I made the right decision to 
not have those conversations at the time with family Uh, because the, you know, the acceptance or lack thereof for LGBTQ people back then is, is totally different than what it is now. Um, And I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the outcome would have been um, from those conversations. You know, I, I didn't come out to my father until 2004 when I was already uh, on my own as an adult, um, which gives you a sense of security, right? Yeah. You depend on when you're a minor and you're living at home, you depend on your uh, family and your your parent or parents for support and security. Yeah. And coming out to um, potentially unaccepting family is a a very scary thing, and it's mm-hmm. a destabilizing thing if it does not go correctly. You know that's 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 why I, I, I'm saddened, but it's a it's a understandable reality that in Florida and across the country, forty yeah. percent of homeless youth, forty percent of homeless youth, is LGBTQ, mm. and it doesn't take a rocket science uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand right. why that unfortunate reality uh, exists. Right. I feel like this is so important to uplift to people listening is, you know, when every pride, right, there's always like messages of acceptance and love and, you know, be your authentic self. We love you. We accept you. But I think there's also the necessary uplift and reminder that like your story is your own. And if you're not in a space and place where you can come out safely, like that's like, don't do it, you know, like don't, don't do things just because like the world and everyone's saying like, you know, yeah, be you, but everyone's story is different and everyone is in different situations. And, um, I think what I do love about living here in central Florida is we have organizations like zebra coalition and peer support space. and, And these are places that really champion, um, the importance of chosen family, right? In the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community, we have chosen family. These are people that can be, you know, flesh and blood family, but mostly friends, mentors, peers that, you know, rally around us and support us. And I'm curious for you, Carlos, you know, what did chosen family look like for you as you were coming out? Who were those people? Well, first, I'm really glad that you mentioned that, Meg, um, how there's so much support. Mm-hmm. particularly for LGBTQ youth now, yeah. um, whether it be through uh, programs like the Zebra Coalition, which particularly helps um, uh, LGBTQ youth that is either homeless or facing housing instability, mm-hmm. uh, or whether it's through other peer support groups for LGBTQ people that exist um outside of the immediate family for as a resource for those folks who don't have accepting family members um, had that had those resources and support systems and networks for LGBTQ youth existed Mm -hmm. when I was uh, a queer teenager uh, you know I could have I think things might have been a little different my coming out story might have been a little bit different in my case, you know, that was a couple decades ago um, <laughs> that, you know, that just didn't, that just didn't exist for me. Right. Uh, and when we talk about being out and being our authentic selves as uh, queer uh, and LGBTQ people, we also have to understand that sometimes that that is a, that is a, a privileged existence. Yes. Um, yes. That it's not, it is, it is not necessarily safe for every person to be out and be their authentic selves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why I'm, 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 I'm so grateful that so many of these organizations uh, exist today to provide that support for LGBTQ youth that, that need it. You know, everyone goes through their own personal uh, journey. Uh, yes. And for those LGBTQ youth that are listening, if if you are in a situation where maybe you don't have uh, accepting or uh, affirming members of your immediate family, 
what you absolutely do have is acceptance and support uh, outside of 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 maybe the, maybe those individuals uh, in your family and in the greater community. And that's to your question about chosen family mm-hmm. about you know who who is part of your support system if not your immediate um, family members well you know over the years chosen family uh, is is really you know who your your friend and support your friends and support system are uh, for me you know that's some of that's some of my closest friends that I've had since college. Uh, it's members of the community. It's my husband, certainly, mm-hmm. who uh, is uh, a rock for me um, in so many different ways, um, especially over the last you know few years as I've lived my my life as an out proud uh, elected official. Um, you know, it's not always necessarily been easy, but I'm still coming from a point of privilege and that. I can live my life openly, authentically, and I don't necessarily fear, um, you know, for my own safety or security uh, in being that out proud person, which I know is privileged. uh, Mm -hmm. And I have a strong support system uh, as well of chosen family. And that's a, that's a really beautiful thing. Thank you. I love that. Whew. All right. That is story time, y'all. When we come back, we're going to get into the whole kit and caboodle. This is our hashtag throwback Thursday pop culture section of the show. And of course, my favorite section. Uh, So we'll come right back and get into it. So stay tuned. Here in retrospect, we love to talk about sex. But as most of the guests and I have mentioned time and time again, our sex ed sucked and we navigated our lives the best we could. I decided to reach out to my good friend and feminist sex educator, Cassandra Corrado, for an exclusive chat on my Patreon channel. And if you haven't checked that out yet, please do. But I wanted to tell y'all why you should check out Cassandra's website, feministsexed.com. Cassandra is a trauma-informed, queer-inclusive sex educator who works to help adults unlearn sexual shame and live more pleasurable lives. She offers free resources, such as a sex tracker template, worksheets, and even online classes to unlearn all the toxic nonsense, plus provides private coaching if you want to have a little extra support. She even has really cute sex positive swag and I definitely encourage y'all to buy yourselves a crop top. Everything you need to unlearn sexual shame, unlock pleasure, and heal our relationships with sex. Start your next chapter in your sexual wellness journey by going to www.feministsexed.com and save 15% on anything in the store with code RETRO15. That's R-E-T-R-O 15. Thanks, y'all, and let's get back to the show. All right, everybody, welcome back. Thank you. Hope you all enjoyed the break. There's some good stuff in there. Please check all of those things out. Um, We are going to get into the whole kit and caboodle. I don't know, Carlos, if you remember back in the 90s, um, they were called caboodles, but they were like these makeup kit boxes that girls would buy, and they're like plastic and had a bunch of fun colors um and really bulky i don't really know why they were not efficient at all but that is what the kitten caboodle segment is named after is these 90s makeup kit boxes <laughs> i'm trying to imagine it right now in my mind i don't know i think you know what you're talking about right now my only context is like this uh maybelline like under eye concealer that i always have on that's the makeup that i put on every day nice. for, for context <laughs> i always got to put my face on before mm-hmm. uh a, an interview but yes. for this podcast i got away with not having to put my face on because it's audio only so thank you for that meg you're welcome i too <laughs> appreciate the need to not be on screen all the time i just like having a good conversation i don't want to distract y'all with my like lack of eyebrows or you know no beat of a face so 
we're going to keep rolling with that. <laughs> so for folks who want me to do a visual podcast, it's going to be a minute, y'all, because I don't have the energy. It's all good. Um, Kit and Caboodle, we're going to get into some pop culture questions. Carlos, did you have any childhood nicknames growing up? I did not. Mm. I, I, <laughs> I did not. I mean, <laughs> although sometimes, <laughs> sometimes... Uh, my siblings and, all, and and I, we always like refer to each other as like, hey, butthole. <laughs> like, our pet names for each other. It's kind of vulgar and, you know, not appropriate for this podcast, but I'm just going to be real. That's what we called each other because <laughs> we were vulgar children. That's okay. I think, and uh, yes, in all transparency in retrospect has seen it all um, and said it all. Um, but I will say the way that you said butthole gave me um, Beavis and Butthead vibes. So <laughs> I could see that 100%. A little bit, a little bit. Love that. Um, when we talk about favorite childhood or, you know, youth um, musicians or bands or artists. I know we mentioned Brandy Carlisle and Prince. Anybody else when you think of younger you who is coming to your mind? Well, I mean, I was really into and still am. Um, you know, a lot of my favorite artists at the time was like Aerosmith, mm. um, Madonna, Shania Twain. First concert I ever went to um was an Aerosmith concert at uh the amphitheater in West Palm Beach. I don't even know what it's called Ooh. now. It's Sky Amphitheater, but that was like that was like the best concert ever. And nice. um <laughs> and, and I remember I saw Shania Twain like at least two or three times like, when I was in high school or college. Uh I didn't see Madonna as often because you know, Madge was never on tour and tickets were not affordable. Mm -hmm. So, the first, <laughs> so the, the first Madonna concert I ever went to actually was like 2001, 2002, mm. uh, which was like before, right before I graduated from college. But that was, that was a pretty cool experience. I'm trying to think. So like you and I'm, I'm doing like the time frame of things. So like if your first concert was Aerosmith, like what was the, I guess, what was the most popular song at that moment? for you like during that concert i'm trying to like place well, them in time because they've been I remember, sound i remember before i went to the concert you know I, I was just listening to big ones which is their greatest hits mm -hmm, album mm -hmm. but then they, but they at the time i think they released an album that i, I want to say was called uh nine lives uh oh. which didn't have a lot of big hits from that album uh -huh. in particular except hole in my soul was a hot single mm. uh and then i think it was only after that concert like a year or a year and a half later that they uh, came out with a big single uh don't want to miss a thing for the soundtrack for armageddon, armageddon. But I, I was more i was more into like 80s and early 90s aerosmith than i was everything mm. else after that you know like with the alicia Fair. silverstone videos for crazy yes thing and all that oh my god that was like um crying like that yes. was that was like my whole existence right there Ryan, god, oh my god y'all i just fun facts about meg sanga i love alicia silverstone love her loved her in Who doesn't? and she like looks exactly the same she now she doesn't age before. My God. Yes. I will also say I was a child of the 90s, specifically like VH1 and MTV when they actually had music on TV. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but Alicia Silverstone, I love the fact that she was in not one, not two, but three Aerosmith music videos and thought that was so cool. And then I saw her in Clueless and just like fell in love. And then full circle moment, she was in Batman at one point as Batgirl. So she was. And then what happened to her? She kind of fell off. She kind of took a break. <laughs> she was like, mm, I did this. But she's been popping up more and more um, as of recently. She does like a little bit of like TV and, and smaller stuff. But yeah, she still looks really good. Shout out to Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> uh, and I also, as you were talking, Googled Madonna in the 2000s. And I'm I was met with a very distinct picture of her in a cowboy hat and some denim um very right. give me all your loving era so right ha happy to see that, that yeah was... that well that was that was a pretty cool album that was the uh i think that was the music album mm. um 
which uh, which I was definitely very into, but <laughs> not 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 as uh, not as I mean that wasn't even my favorite. I mean, one of my favorite albums of hers is really uh, "Confessions on a Dance Floor," which oh. didn't come out until two thousand and six. Um, you know, what well into my adult years. <laughs> <laughs> All good. All good. But you can't Uh, ever forget the greatest hits, the Immaculate Collection. No. Oh, no. And she, like Aerosmith and a lot of these folks, like they have decades, right, of like music and content and just so much that they've touched and inspired like culturally. So there's, regardless of where you get introduced, like what era you get introduced to these artists by, like they have some great shit. So... Well, and, and fun fact, I did go to a Cher concert in 1999. And did was, you? And that was before I was out, but I guess by then it might have been pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, one of those clues. I could see that. Right. I could see right. that. Dead giveaway. <laughs> I love it. Let's talk, Carlos, about crushes. Can you remember either a first crush when you were younger or even a celebrity crush i had a big celebrity crush on orlando bloom <laughs> which, is, which is more like my early adulthood crush oh my God. but um yeah i was i was fairly obsessed with orlando bloom i used to have this bracelet that said mrs bloom that i Stop. used to wear <laughs> oh my god so ridiculous so ridiculous wow. <laughs> yes he he was he was one of my crushes for a very long time. I'm curious, is this like Orlando Bloom in like circa like Lord of the Rings Orlando Bloom? Or is yeah. there like a particular other yeah, space? That period. Oh yeah, that, that period of time and you know uh, which also includes when he was on in the movie Troy with Brad Pitt. Oh my god. Just absolutely, yes, absolutely amazing from that era. Enrique Iglesias was also a crush of mine. Ooh, well. Enrique, yes. Also, if you watched Troy, like I tell people all the time, I'm like, Troy is so homoerotic. Like I don't understand why anyone mm-hmm. thinks that this oh, is yeah, for straight it. people. <laughs> like, oh, come on. Oh, yeah. I'm Brad obsessed. Pitt in his physical prime. You have Orlando Bloom. You have Eric Bonnet. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be serious, people. All of this. Yeah, um, I was watching it strictly for you know historic appreciation. <laughs> exactly, all as we all were. <laughs> I will also say that I too was a fan of Orlando Bloom and had a Legolas poster in my closet. <laughs> um, and now, in retrospect, thinking back on it, I really he had just a lot of feminine features that I appreciated, and shouldn't have been a surprise when I realized that I was bi because I'm like, Orlando was just yeah yeah it makes sense it was like had the long flowing hair. i was like oh yeah makes total sense mm-hmm. Whew. all right before we get into the last bit um one last question really quick what did you want to be when you grew up i know that you're now obviously politician activist but was there something else younger you wanted to do Oh, I changed my mind a hundred times when I was younger. Um, <laughs> I mean, at, fir- at first I wanted to be an attorney, which I think in retrospect was just uh, an acknowledgement that I like to argue with people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Now I'm not an attorney, but I play one on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think more, um, I think my real professional trajectory for a long time was I was in retail management and I managed a men's warehouse store for eight years before I got involved in politics. Um, And it was Obama's election as president of the United States that really uh, inspired me to create a different professional path for myself. Um, And so I became a super volunteer for everything. Like I volunteered for Equality Florida, who I now work for. I volunteered for uh, organizing for America, which was the um, the campaign arm. Well, not the campaign arm. Organizing for America OFA was the uh, the advocacy arm of the mm. Obama administration. You know, I got nice. involved with them to like push for things like uh, universal health care. The public option was the big debate at the time, which we did not get. Mm. Um, and I got really involved as a volunteer there. And my dream job 
Mm. dream job when I finally broke into politics was to be a staffer on Capitol Hill. So it was not, um, oh, I want to, I want to run for office. That, uh-huh. That's my dream. That was not my dream job. That was, yeah. that was not, that was not in the picture for me. Um, <laughs> it, it was to be a staffer. And so, and so mm-hmm. I got a job being a staffer on the other Capitol Hill in Tallahassee. Mm. Um, and that was like my first, I guess my first real job in politics uh, that was really meaningful was being a, being a legislative assistant, a staffer for 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 two former state house members um, who who served in the Florida House as I do right now. Wow! Um, because I did, I wanted to do like that behind the scenes stuff. Like sure. that, that's what I wanted to do. Was I wanted to prep the elected official, prep the mm. politician for their speech, prep them for their their questions, prep them for their media appearances. I didn't want to be the one doing the appearances (laughs) and speeches and debating myself. Yeah. Um, And, you know, then, then, then the more involved I got and the more uh, in the process uh, I became familiar with that process, I guess I realized I'm like, well, wait a minute, this is actually not that hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. maybe I should be the one doing it at this point. Because <laughs> if not, I'm just gonna nitpick the hell out of whoever I'm working for. Right? What they should have said, or how they should have said it, or you know, what debate point they should have made. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just go ahead and do it myself. Wow, what a trajectory! I love that. Thank you for that. I'm going to do our last little bit of kit and caboodle real quick. It's where I share with the listeners three photos that I creepily dug out of the basement and bottom of the Uh-oh. interwebs. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I will describe them to you listeners. And she went on my MySpace page. Listen, you know, I do what I gotta do. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I do what I gotta do. So we're going to choose a couple of these and you will let me know, Carlos, if I'm right on the money or what the hell is actually going on. Um, The first photo I have of you is I'm going to go to a photo that looks like you're in Paris. Um, There is a filter on this. And that's how you know it's an older photo. (laughs) There's like a blue green filter going on. Carlos is standing what looks like on a bridge with the beautiful Eiffel Tower in the background. We're rocking some really quintessential 2000s spiky hair, some aviator sunglasses, a popped like a collared t-shirt under a collared shirt underneath what looks like a t-shirt. Um, some uh is that a horn there's like a horn necklace thing going on with another chain. Um, I don't know. There's a lot and I'm, I'm loving it. What, how old were you? Where, like, why were you in Paris? What's going on? So this is 2006. This is my first trip to Europe ever. I actually did a double take because I was looking, I was looking at my wrist and I'm like, oh my God, is that the Mrs. Bloom uh, bracelet? I I don't think it is. I don't think it is, but it's from that era. Oh my (laughs) God. What is that? Okay, so I went to, uh, yeah, I did a, uh, I'd never been to Europe before, and uh, one of my best friends, my chosen family, Mm -hmm. uh, his name is Brent, and he was studying abroad in Amsterdam um, when he was getting his uh, law school degree, and so we thought it would be fun to meet up with Brent. Uh, I came with his now husband, Fred. Um, and we, uh, we started our trip in Amsterdam. Then we went to, um, Paris. And then we also spent some time in Rome as well. And it was like a six day, it was a six day trip and it was fantastic. And I opened up my eyes to so much culture. This is when I really started, um, really getting more interested in Renaissance, uh, art, Mm. Uh, and you know what the renaissance really was as you know certainly not just a a movement it wasn't it wasn't just an awakening of of art but an intellectual uh awakening um as well for for humans (laughs) yeah and and there was just so much to uh, that i learned on that trip you know how like when you go uh like 
if you if you've ever been on on a trip to like a foreign country when you were younger and mm-hmm. you don't quite appreciate it the way that you should and you're mm-hmm. like I need to go back to this place now that I'm an adult to yes. really like absorb like this experience and this culture that's what that's what I felt like that this trip was for me I was 26 years old at the time mm-hmm. uh, and while it was my first time to Europe I felt like I actually really really I went during a time in my life where I could really appreciate it and absorb it to like the maximum effect yeah, yeah. Uh, and appreciation. So yeah, so that was that was a fun trip. And I was there with a, a bunch of buddies. And uh, we ate a lot of food and we drank a lot of wine. And I got to practice a little bit of my French because my mom's side of the family is French Canadian. Mm. Um, and so I got to use a little bit of my French speaking skills when we were in Paris and it was and, and, and I remember the, the soundtrack of this trip to Europe for me, Uh two, two albums, Madonna's confessions on the dance floor. I don't know why I keep referencing that, but it just came out. It just came out. Uh, and also, um, Fergie's uh, album. Oh my God. Her, her first album, like London Bridge. That, like, had it, that was like when it first came out and that was like all I was listening to. Oh my God. The Duchess, Fergie. Oh my God. <laughs> Screaming. Um, I still actually really do love London Bridges. Um, it just has a great beat. If it comes on, I get real hype. Um, that's fantastic. I love it. Thank you. I'm going to choose another photo. It is a little bit older, but I think this is younger you. Um, you have, it's the very last photo that was dropped into this document. You have a party hat on. You, I want to say you're sitting next to a sibling. Um, I think you're eating out of bowls with cake in it. So you're celebrating a party. I don't know if it's your birthday, her birthday, somebody's birthday. I also want to say that I had these exact chairs also when I was growing up. So if that's just a brown family thing, it is what it is. But yeah, I think this is you. How old are you? I I, want to say you're probably like under five, but let's let you tell this story. (laughs) I actually don't know how old I am. Oh my God. I I don't know how I am, but I'm, you know, somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm with my older sister Kathy here I love in it. this photograph, and it's actually unclear to me whether it's her birthday or mine. <laughs> I'm not really, I'm not really certain. Um, it's right on the money, <laughs> right, right. I mean, actually, and my full disclosure, uh, someone in my legislative office found these photos and uploaded them. So it's I don't even, that. I don't even know where they got them. But that's um, so funny. If I had the photo in front of, in front of me, I would like look at the backside to see what my mom wrote on it because my mom used to like write the dates and like mm-hmm. what, what the thing was but I'm just gonna have to say that this <laughs> <laughs> this is like four or five year old Carlos celebrating someone's birthday that is so cute sister Kathy do you know whose house you're at is that your house or this, a family members this it it's those are our chairs okay so, um it's definitely I think it's at the first house that I ever lived in, which was in North Lauderdale before we moved to Boca Raton. That has to be mm. where it is. Uh, yeah, that's definitely where it is. We I lived in North Lauderdale with my my older sister and my parents. Um, you know, pretty much from since I was born until mm-hmm. I was six years old. Oh, wow. uh, and then and then we moved to Boca, and my parents bought a slightly bigger house in Boca because they were expecting my little sister, Christine, and we needed a little bit more room. Mm-hmm. So that was when we moved to Boca. But this looks like my North Lauderdale house that I grew up. Well, I mean, I kind of grew up here, but I spent more time in the Boca house. That's really sure. home. I love it. And I, uh, the the picture, it looks like an, a picture of an actual photo. You can like tell by the little glare in the corner, mm-hmm. but um, it's like sepia tone. So again, it like it sets time, right? Like there's something about certain like colors on photos where you're like, oh, that's easily, you know, 90s, 80s, 70s, like definitely a little bit older. So. Right. So this this is probably 1984. Mm, okay. Yes. I love it. <laughs> I love it. And I also love like any photo with kids because they're either like super excited to be alive or like don't give a shit about what's going on. Or and grumpy. it's both. Or grumpy. Or just super grumpy and over it. Right. 
I love it. I'm going to choose one more and I think I'm going to do just the iconic photo you are probably in the last couple of years because it is a photo with former President Obama. Um, it is a fist bump that you're giving mm. him and you are wearing the um, a t-shirt that I actually do have. It's the um, Orlando United t-shirt with the heart um, and the kind of kaleidoscopy um, pattern in it. Um, is this a, a rally? Is this an event? What, how did you meet President Obama? This is so cool. So this picture, there's so, I mean, there's so much story here. Sure. So this is Orlando 2016. It's October 2016. So President Obama was in Orlando to um, campaign for Secretary Clinton's uh, run for president. Mm-hmm. And he was the uh, main speaker at a, a pro-Clinton rally mm-hmm. at UCF, at the oh. UCF CFE Arena. And so um, I was one of the speakers um, uh, introducing President Obama at the UCF rally in October 2016. And, you know, just think of where we where we were as a community then. Um, October was um, four months after the tragedy at Pulse. Mm -hmm. Um, And. The conversation that I had with him, which was very brief, of course, backstage and in, in, in the line sure. um, of people that were there that had the privilege of being able to meet him very briefly and take a photograph, I was on a mission. Um, I had in my in a, in my backpack what's known now as the Pulse Orlando quilt. Mm. So the Pulse Orlando quilt was was made by uh, an elderly Orlando resident. She basically put together something that looks a lot like the AIDS quilt uh, in the 90s that has um, every patch is a photograph of mm. someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it you know had like a rainbow pattern on it. And basically the, the quilt had um, photos of each of the 49 victims from Pulse and it had been signed and there had been notes of support on the quilt by lots of lots of um dignitaries lots of community leaders uh nancy pelosi signed the quilt uh secretary clinton herself signed the quilt and put messages of support and my friend nancy rosalo who is uh, a puerto rican uh queer activist and 9-11 survivor who lives here in the area she um she's like carlos you've got to get President Obama to sign this quilt. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, wow. what? what? You're putting this on me? It's <laughs> a lot of pressure. Me to get President Obama to say, what? how am I even going to? Here, we're folding it up. We're putting it in this backpack. You're bringing, you're bringing this. So this was days before the rally that she gave me the quilt. And when I had the conversation with him, I absolutely you know, thanked him not only for his leadership as president for many years, but also for visiting with the Pulse families and survivors just days after the shooting and for all of the love and support that he gave the Pulse community. And that's when I asked him for the favor and guilted him into (laughs) signing the quilt, which of course he obliged. Of course. Uh, And he, he signed the will, he signed the quilt and, and, uh, now the quilt is the property of the Orange County Regional History Center Museum. So they, wow. they have the Pulse quilts uh, as part of their uh, collection. Um, yeah. And while the Pulse exhibit at the museum changes every year, mm-hmm. uh, the last time I saw the quilt on display, I want to say was in 2017 or 2018, but it is, it is a part of their collection. It is now the property uh, of the Orange County Regional History Center. So I guess it's a part of history. Wow. That is amazing. That is a powerful to been able to have that moment to get him to say yes. And now it is a part of history forever. Um, but also shout out to your friend who was like, you're doing this <laughs> because doing sometimes it. that requires you're, you're the push. And <laughs> what's interesting is I'm also seeing in this photograph how, you know, most people have seen the Pulse ribbons before because the ribbon maker who lives here locally, his name is Ben Johansson. He's a great, uh, amazing community leader who's mm-hmm. who, who basically made over a million Pulse ribbons to remember mm. 49. But even those ribbons themselves evolved over time yeah. as far as how they looked 
and the material that was used to make the ribbons. So when I see this photo and I look at the ribbon, I see that as like vintage pulse wow. ribbon because it was made from a different fabric and it has a different centerpiece that keeps it together. Mm-hmm. And this is actually, I'm wearing the first pulse ribbon that I was ever given that I, that I ever, that I ever had. And it's the ribbon that I wore uh, to Drew Leinenen's funeral, Drew being one of the 49 um, victims who was killed. Uh, and so that ribbon in particular for me is, you know, one that I you know, certainly still have in my possession, but it's like special. It's like put away somewhere yeah. to be preserved. Yeah. Thank you, Carlos, for sharing this story, all the stories um, and being a part of this, uh, this episode and, and this particular King Caboodle, I think you've been able to honestly take us on both the, the journey and the, the much needed like belly laughs that I've needed today. Um, mm-hmm. but also really, you know, reflect on, on some poignant moments, um, as we are in the fifth, you know, anniversary of Pulse. It's something that is on my mind, on a lot of people's minds is, you know, we live here in Orlando. I actually live um, in Conway, like down the street from Pulse. And so it is, you know, an everyday Mm -hmm. reminder for me as I Mm -hmm. am out and about in the community. Um, And so holding space for those of us who are, you know, connected to that event in a personal way, friends, family, um, but also the community members that are still helping each other out in in amazing ways. Um, So just a shout out and a thank you to everyone. Um, This past week was a like honestly event almost every day I want to say right there was an Mm -hmm. event every day Mm -hmm. um you know on this uh anniversary so um just again yeah I want to say thank you to everybody who it was a part of that and and the work that we continue to do and thank you to you Carlos for honor them with action Mm -hmm. honor them with action y'all thank you Meg of course of course we are gonna take a really quick break but when we come back it is the favorite of everyone else the letter it's the letter y'all so just take a Really quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, y'all. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode of In Retrospect, but I wanted to take a quick moment to shout out some awesome patrons from my Patreon channel. Shout out to Carrie Hawes, Joanna Rose Gross, Dr. Byron Green, Taylor Dunworth, and Braylon Jr. If y'all are wondering how you can support In Retrospect, go to www.patreon.com slash inretrospect. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash in retrospect. Now let's get back to the show. Here at In Retrospect, we like our guests to have the last word. Carlos, if you could write a letter to your younger self, what would it say? Well, I'm glad you asked, Meg. And I did put something together to help me reflect on... uh, my younger self who was struggling with LGBTQ identity uh, and trying to, you know, really understand and embrace uh, who I really am. Um, And I would say that this is probably a letter written to um, teenage Carlos um, when I was really uh, starting to understand um, and at least acknowledge to myself Um, my identity as a gay man. Dear Carlos, I, I know you are hiding a secret about yourself that you don't want anyone in the world to find out, but most of them already know, and it's gonna be okay. There will be some who won't accept it, but you don't need their acceptance to live a happy and fulfilling life. Just like everyone else, you'll have setbacks. You'll even survive hate violence. Even that will make you stronger in your journey to help others like you. This too shall pass. And one day, you'll be married to a beautiful, loving husband. Family and friends will celebrate your love for one another the way you dreamed they would. And that love will make a positive difference in many people's lives. You may not want to believe this, but it really does get better. Love your older self. You've been listening to In Retrospect with me, Meg Sunga. 
My guest this week was Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith. You can follow Carlos on Instagram or Twitter at Carlos G. Smith. In Retrospect is created and hosted by me, Meg Sanga. Editing and mixing by Shay Willard. Transcript and show notes by our favorite librarian, Mary Taylor Coley. Booking and outreach by Bryant Wynn. Our executive producers are Daniel Zueto and Corey Davis. Cover art by Andrew Engstadt. Special thanks to Maven Leadership Collective, iFund Women, and my fan stands and rider dies supporting me via Patreon. If you like in retrospect, follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. For our episode transcripts, show notes, and even more nostalgic fun, head to www.inretrospect.com.